0: For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts
2: every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff.
3: Hello, Best
1: Ever listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. Today's episode is brought to you by BAM Capital, a trusted multifamily syndicator that has never missed a preferred payment and never lost an LP's investment. To learn more about investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.theBAMCompanies.com or click the link in the show notes. Today, in this best ever roundtable, which was previously recorded the week of the Fed's December decision, our hosts, Ash Patel, Slocum Reed, and Joe Cornwell, discuss the Fed's December meeting and what its indications about future rate cuts could mean for investors in 2024. With that said, Happy New Year, best ever listeners. We hope you enjoy this roundtable discussing what investors should be watching for in 2024. I'll let the guys take it from here. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guests, Joe Cornwell and Slocum Reed, who are also my fellow co hosts for the best ever podcast. We are recording this on December 14th, 2023. The reason is the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, just had a meeting yesterday, announced his outlook on the economy and rates, and we thought we would get together do a round table for you and present our thoughts and would love to hear yours as well. So with that being said, who wants to kick it off? Joe Slocum, let me see a show of hands. Nobody. All right, Joe, you're up.
3: (laughs) All righty, thank you. Yeah, so I was mentioning right before we started this, I was going over some of the notes from the Fed chair meeting. And I think that the markets in general are optimistic with the things that were said in the meeting. Right now, as far as lenders on the residential and commercial side, most people are expecting a long-term pause on rate hikes. So at this point, we're not expecting any more interest rate hikes in the near term. And most people are underwriting anywhere from three to six reductions potentially in 2024. Three being the most common assumption and six being the pie in the sky number. And I think most people are making the assumption that that's going to be a 25 basis point reduction if and when those happen. So obviously with the inflation data that came out, it looks like inflation is stabilized and we're still hovering right around 3% of that core inflation number and While it's not dropped down to the target 2% rate, I think the Fed is indicating they are happy with some of the progress that they've made, and they have indicated that they are willing to cut rates even though they haven't quite achieved their goals yet. So overall, two things, I guess. It means that the market is not doing as well as it was, and that is in some ways good news for us investors because that means that the debt markets are going to soften a little bit. So- I guess depending on how you want to look at it, it means that because there's some signs that the economy is starting to waver, that that means the Fed's going to have to back off, which will allow investors like us to see some cheaper debt here in the coming months.
1: Joe, thank you for that. Slocum, what are your thoughts on what happened yesterday?
3: Yeah, I watched a replay of
2: Jerome Powell's meeting, his announcement from yesterday. And I've heard the same things. I get most of my news from the Wall Street Journal What's News podcast. I try to keep my consumption time to a minimum, focus on keeping my head down, focusing on my own economic productivity, and just picking my head up every once in a while to make sure there aren't any variables out there I need to be reacting to. And I'm hearing effectively the same thing that, of course, the Federal Reserve will not commit to any future actions because of the implications of those commitments but their projection is hold rates steady for now start to lower rates in 2024 into 25 they see inflation coming down to their target but it's going to take a few years to get there my initial reaction is that we're at a moment in the market cycle where pretty much everyone's predictions are headed in the same direction we're asking ourselves how many rate decreases there will be, how quickly we'll get back to some sense of interest rate reduction. I'm not seeing anything that would lead me to believe we're going to get 3%, 4% interest rates again anytime soon. That was likely specific to the economic activity surrounding COVID. So we'll find some sense of normalcy here soon with reduced interest rates from where they are right now, but we're not going to get back to where we were a few years ago.
1: All right. This would not be a fun episode if we all agreed on this. So let me throw a wrench in things. I was on a podcast yesterday. In between two podcasts, I open up CNBC and I see the market go to a new record high and the headlines read Fed holds rates steady indicates three rate cuts coming in 2024 And I'm thinking, there's no way. Something is way off of here. Now, let me just give you my opinion of headlines and a lot of these financial news networks. Yesterday, also, there was a headline across major news outlets, Tesla recalls 2 million vehicles. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's a lot of cars for as few cars as they produce relative to other manufacturers. 2 million cars, recalls, how do they do that? You read the article, and it's not a recall. It's a simple software upgrade that they're going to push out. It's a very minor issue. But these clickbait headlines seem to be the flavor of the day. This is what sells for these media outlets. Doing some digger deeping, and when I finally got to watch the replay of Jerome Powell's talk, nowhere did he indicate rate cuts in 2024. There was one Fed governor, one out of seven governors, Chris Waller, who I don't even know where the quote was, but he told somebody that he's penciling in three rate cuts for next year. Now in the Fed meeting, one of the media outlets asked Jerome Powell about that. And he said, I will not comment on something a Fed governor said, right? And that was more realistic core inflation is at 3.1%, according to Powell, and his target is 2%. In his speech yesterday, he said he expects inflation to be at 2.4% in 2024, and expecting to hit 2% in 2025. So really, everything hinges on that core inflation number. So here we have the mass markets reacting to headlines, Again, this morning, the market's through the absolute roof. Now, I'm with you, Slocum. One of my trusted sources is the Wall Street Journal. Now, this morning's headlines on the Wall Street Journal, it didn't say, oh my God, things are great, rates are going down, go out and spend. It said, central banks signal victory over inflation in sight. So that's a very tempered headline. And then the front page article, is conditions look right for a soft landing. Here's why it will be difficult. Now, there's never been a soft landing in history, so I don't know where the sentiment's coming in from on we could have a soft It just doesn't happen. I've tried to find any evidence of a soft landing throughout history, and I've not seen one. So I'm still skeptical. I'm really shocked because one of the tools in the Fed's arsenal is market sentiment. So they failed yesterday. If you contrast Powell to Alan Greenspan, Alan Greenspan was hated when he was increasing rates. He had to have secret service details because there were death threats. Investors wanted to kill this guy because he wasn't soft about raising rates. He took a hard-nosed approach. And here we have Powell. My opinion was, He was pretty soft yesterday. He spoke like a politician and he still prefaced everything hinges on core inflation. So I think the market is overreacting to the positive. And I also try to do some research on correlations between rate increases and stock market performance. And shockingly, throughout the last 30 years of rate increases, the equity market has always increased with those rate increases. And I think part of that is the market sentiment. Each time they raise rates, okay, take a sigh of relief. This is the last one. We're out of the woods. And next time, all right, we anticipate one more and then we're good. The one more comes, take a sigh of relief. So I don't know, man. I think it's only real estate people and Wall Street people that believe we're in for a soft landing and rates will be down next year. I think there's more pain to come.
3: Well, here's the thing though. Let's just say that we do have some severe pain in the economy or the real estate market. Those are things I think that would force the Fed's hand to cut rates faster than they may want to. And I think another factor is the GDP. Once they have the 23 GDP finalized, if that is exceeding expectations, then I think that that is a bad thing for potential rate cuts because again, they're actually trying to cool the economy. They want job loss. They want to slow the economy down. So those numbers, the final spending numbers on the holiday season, and obviously what happens with inflation over the next, let's say first quarter of 24 are definitely going to dictate whether they do end up actually cutting rates or not. But like you said, I think Jerome Powell's job is to temper markets. So of course he's not going to comment or certainly not commit to any future rate cuts because he knows that's going to just spur the economy, which is again, what they're trying to stop. So while I think that a lot of lenders are underwriting for potential rate cuts in the next six to 12 months, but the futures market is actually, as I mentioned, underwriting up to six rate cuts in 2024. So I guess you can kind of look at the future market or Wall Street They're kind of like the Vegas odds makers, let's say, of the real estate market and the rate market. They're typically more accurate than I am. Let's put it that way. (laughs) They have more information and data to make accurate assumptions than I do. And it's just like Vegas making odds in football. So they're estimating up to six rate cuts potentially. So anyway, it's interesting to see all the different dynamics. But I think the more important question for us today is depending on how these go, looking at some of these variables. How is this going to actually affect us as real estate investors and our course of action in 2024?
2: Ash, I'll let you comment on that because I'll end up taking this conversation in a very different direction.
3: can't wait for that.
1: Joe, you've got a good point there. There's something called the Bloomberg Surprise Index, and it shows where people's predictions are versus reality. And it's never been in line. It's always been... People were overly pessimistic or overly optimistic. It's like an EKG graph. It is all over, up and down. But, you know, one thing you made me think of is the 10-year treasury. The 10-year treasury is not set by anybody but us. Banks don't set it. Market doesn't have influence over it. It is truly consumer market sentiment, supply and demand. So the 10-year today is at 3.93%. It hasn't been that low since June. So the market is feeling that interest rates are coming down. So I'm an antagonist in this situation, but my opinion is watch inflation very closely because if they don't tame that, rates are not coming down. And then you also mentioned, Joe, that the Fed's job is to kill jobs right now. That's not happening. Jobs are increasing by about 200,000 per month. But one thing that he mentioned yesterday was that employee participation is getting higher, meaning the unemployment number is at 3.7%, but more people that were sitting on the sidelines without work, maybe because of free government money, are now getting back into the workforce. So maybe when we start exhausting all of that, who knows what happens. Yeah. And
3: just a comment on your point, and then I'll let you jump in here, Slocum. It's... How many of those 200,000 jobs are seasonal, though, related to the holiday season? That was my question when I saw that stat as well. Because if that's heavily related to the seasonal aspect, then I think the long term economy may not actually be as strong as they're potentially looking at. And obviously, we'll know more in the first quarter of next year. And then the other thing you mentioned something about the government money. What's interesting to me, and I just found this out through some of my tenants that have started to come behind on rent, there are still a ton of government money out there that was from the COVID era funding. Where jobs and family services, as one example, here in Southwest Ohio, they're actually still paying people's rent who claim they're unable to work for health reasons. And so it's amazing to me, while no one's really talking about it and not a lot of people probably know about it, there are still billions of dollars of government money floating around from the COVID legislation.
1: Joe, great point about the seasonal jobs. I'm surprised he didn't mention that yesterday, but you're right. Let's see after the first of the year, how that jobs number looks.
2: Joe, back to your comments about the rents being paid by federal stimulus money as a property manager. I'm still collecting some of those rents every once in a while. And it amazes me. Some of it is coming from federal agencies, but you also have local nonprofits who are still willing to shell out that kind of money. It amazes me. We're all Cincinnati based. I'm going to say that again in a moment, but St. Vincent de Paul is still willing to cut checks for what feels like anyone who walks through the door can get not a full month's rent, but They can get something the moment they walk in the door and then there's an approval process for further stimulus across the board. And this is December of 2023. I would not have expected it. I'm grateful for it. My partners are grateful for it because it keeps the rent coming in. But while Osh is calling himself an antagonist in this conversation, I feel more like an antagonist to this conversation. The further into the weeds that we go with attempting to make these predictions, it just feels to me like sports betting. We're all based in Cincinnati. There was a lot of hype around the Cincinnati Bengals at the beginning of the season because they had just signed Joe Burrow to become the highest paid NFL player in the history of the NFL. So there were a lot of people who were going to make predictions about what the Bengals were going to do. There was no one who was predicting that he would deal with multiple injuries and end up being out for the season about halfway through the season. And then a whole host of more predictions showed up. And then we figured out that the backup quarterback is actually pretty good. All of a sudden, there was no way of predicting that. And now there's a whole host of new predictions about the Cincinnati Bengals and about the NFL in general, because all of these variables keep coming at us from places that we weren't expecting. And the same thing is going to happen in the economy in 2024. So I did two things in preparation for this conversation where I reviewed two pieces of material. One of them was the presser with Jerome Powell. The other was a YouTube video from Ray Dalio. I believe it's called How the Economic Machine Works. And he references that there are effectively three things that matter when it comes to the macro economy. There is actual human productivity and there's a short-term debt cycle and the long-term debt cycle. The short-term debt cycle being, I believe Ray would argue what we're experiencing right now, that the expansion and contraction of the availability of credit has impact on all economic markets every five to eight years. The long-term debt cycle that includes serious deleveraging is more of a 75 to 100-year thing, and that's what we experienced in 2008. So if you go on Ray Dalio's principles... We're not going to experience another 2008 for a long time, just like we didn't experience another Great Depression until 2008, speaking in very broad terms here, of course. And the underlying message for people like me, at least in all of that, was that when you focus on human productivity, you force economic growth. And it's during conversations like this that while I am a real estate investor, because I have real estate investments, I feel much more like an operator than an investor because it feels to me like people who call themselves investors want to spend their time and their money predicting what other people will do in the future when there are plenty of unforeseen variables like ankles and hips and thumbs in football. And I am much more focused on my own productivity and making sure as an operator that my real estate investments are performing and that my other operations are performing well as well and that I continue to improve and continue to produce. So (laughs) not necessarily the conversation that I know a lot of our listeners were hoping me to bring in here, but I will say that my best ever advice on this case is While it is beneficial to know what is going on in the greater economy, all of us need to be focused on our own activity and our own productivity and making sure that we're keeping our own house in order and focusing on improving our own operations.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, it's great to talk about some of these things that we see happening. We can make our predictions. Part of our job as operators and investors is to make some assumptions and do some underwriting in the future, because I'm going to go out on a limb and say that all three of us will buy deals in 2024 at some point. And I'm sure most of our listeners will be, or at least attempting to do some acquisitions in 2024 as well. So I don't think it's a futile enterprise to necessarily look at the future and make assumptions and expectations. But to your point, Slocum, and this was, I guess, part two of this conversation is, well, knowing what we know, seeing what we see and making these assumptions, knowing that there's a ton of information we don't yet have, given your analogy of the Bengals, which was well said. So what does that mean and what can we do about it? And as you mentioned, we can control what we can control. You're talking about operations, being efficient, managing our existing portfolios as well as we can, stabilizing. So I actually made a couple notes in the first segment of this where I think this is ultimately going to lead to a couple things. So let's just make the assumption that at this point, we all agree that rates are stabilized. Obviously, we know that can change, but at least as of today, December of 2023, we don't see rates going to continue increasing in the near term. And if that is our agreement and our assumption, then that's gonna allow the market to do a couple things. It's gonna allow some normalcy to the existing trade volume, and it's going to allow price discovery, especially multifamily, which has been one of the biggest issues in the last 18 to 24 months, where sellers want one number and all of us looking at buying are looking at a completely different number that's anywhere from 10 to 30% off of the ask price. And I'm sure Slocum's probably seeing that as well in multifamily. Ash, you can speak to what you're seeing in commercial. I'm sure it's a little bit different. But price discovery is one major issue that I think will hopefully start being corrected. And- Two is stabilizing pricing, expectations, interest rates, because when a market doesn't have any idea what's going to happen in the next three months, it's hard for anyone to make decisions. It's hard for banks to make decisions. It's hard for investors to make decisions. It's hard for us operators to make decisions. So back to your point, Slocum, I think that this new data will allow us to make some informed decisions moving forward. And take at least a little bit of the guessing game out of the short term anyway. Ash, what were your thoughts? Go ahead, Slukim.
2: I was going to say, I don't just mean to be a downer in this conversation. So one thing I'd like to add is, I said already, I tend to keep my head down and focus on what I have in front of me. And my market analysis is directly related to the markets in which I operate, what's happening with rent rates, what's happening with leasing activity, maintenance, materials costs, et cetera. But one thing I am following, a major trigger for me to pick up my head and ask what's going on, is that In every market where I operate, there are major players who've been doing it longer, and there are people who are way smarter than me. So what I look for is when their behavior changes. Each of us can think within our niche of real estate investing and within our professional lives outside of real estate investing, for those of us who do other things, we can think of the major players who, if we're being honest, are smarter than us, doing bigger things than us moving more chips across the table. And what I'm doing right now is watching those major players within my markets, local like Cincinnati and within my markets like apartment investing. And I'm checking to see what they're finding, what they are seeing, what opportunities are they taking advantage of, or are they just taking chips off of the table? And I have seen deals start to actually happen. I shared a bit of that optimism the last time we had one of these roundtable conversations, that optimism is coming not from me focusing on what Jerome Powell or the Wall Street Journal have to say, but focusing on the apartment investors in greater Cincinnati that I know like and very highly respect, seeing some of those moves start to happen for them and realizing they're probably early adopters or early movers in a market shift that's going to be beneficial for the rest of us here soon.
1: Joe had a good question. What are sellers going to do? Is there going to be more of an equilibrium between sellers and buyers? I experienced a seller last week. I was helping somebody else. We walked this massive property and the seller's take was, yeah, I get it. You don't make any money today, but when rates come down next year, you'll be making a killing. I think this has the potential of empowering sellers to not reduce prices because they think that there's going to be a turn around the corner and whoever buys this asset will be killing it when rates are going down. So I don't know. Deals are still out there. They're just harder to find. I remember 2010, 11, 12 for me that does non-residential. I can get on LoopNet, CoStar, any MLS and within a few weeks you can find an awesome deal. Now you've gotta put hours and hours and days of searching to find what could be a potential deal. Something else, Joe, that you made me think of is, let's look at how retail sales do through the holidays. We still have the financial news networks reporting that stock market's at an all-time high, but here's five retailers or five companies that are issuing guidance. Lowering their fourth quarter expectations. So I think companies have a lot of pressure on them. We hear from our retail tenants, the mom and pops have been saying sales are down, sales are down. And that's been going on for six months to a year. Jerome Powell did say prices are not coming down. He said wages are going up to lessen the burden on the middle class. So really, I think we just keep an eye on that core inflation number. I don't anticipate a soft landing. I think we could have a bit of good times followed by a true downturn in the economy. And again, on average, it's been 4.1 years from the start of interest rate hikes to a recession. It could be two years. It could be six years.
3: The thing with that though, is that they're saying we're technically in a recession. That's what they've been saying for almost 18 months. So I guess it depends on what metrics and what data you want to use to make that determination. But one thing we haven't talked about is stabilizing rates, if that is the case. And again, that's the assumption today in December of 23. It allows opportunities in the Burr investing model, which was always my background, because nine months ago when I was trying to do Burr deals, I had to go into the underwriting of those deals, making the assumption that my back-end rate on a refi of a BRRRR deal was going to be significantly higher than my rate was today. And now I think that for Burr investors or people who are doing value add, you can at least have somewhat of a stable expectation that, let's put it this way, if I had to bet money on rates 12 months from now, which is about the typical back-end refi time on a large burr deal or more, that my rate today is going to be the same or higher than it will be in 12 to 18 months. So It allows opportunities in the burr market, which again, for the last 12 to 18 months has been very difficult because you're really trying to hit a moving target. And you really had to buy very good deals because again, you're making the assumption that rates are going to be significantly higher when you go to cash out your equity. So again, that's just something that could benefit from the news yesterday.
1: That's a great point. Slocum, any final thoughts?
2: One thing we didn't really touch on much in this conversation is the pressure that property owners who intend to sell or are pressured or forced to sell based on their business plans in commercial real estate are feeling pressure right now the cost of rate locks, interest rates in general still being significantly higher than they were before. I may be speaking from a lack of understanding here, but especially with a drama that is as slow moving as this one has been, we've had multiple years now to make these kinds of predictions. I'm not willing to bet that banks will lose. If it comes to banks losing money based on the lending activity that they've done in the past, I'm willing to believe that banks will adapt and find ways to keep reasonably good investors performing on their loans. So I'm not willing to assume that there's going to be any sort of Armageddon where all of these people are forced to sell and banks are foreclosing all over the place. Banks are too sophisticated, too clever, and frankly, too powerful. To let something like that happen again, again, as recently after the Great Recession as we still are, I just don't see a whole lot of volatility. Not to mention, there's still a lot of capital on the sidelines waiting for the opportunity to be deployed.
3: Yeah, I've been saying since the beginning of the transition in rates that. I don't see this big swath of inventory hitting the market. I know a lot of people have made that prediction. I have never agreed with that. And to your point about the banks, I couldn't agree more. First of all, let's just take commercial real estate, including commercial multifamily. It's such a small subsector of the total lending market. I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but I think it's sub 5% of the total debt market. And when you look at that, Even if that entire thing, every single multifamily loan, every single commercial loan were to collapse, it would not be anywhere near the damage that was done in 2008 when you consider the entire retail housing market and all of the trillions of dollars of mortgages that were involved in that. So for one, it's a smaller number that can be absorbed. But two, the banks learned a lot from the pain that they caused and then dealt with, which... A lot of people would argue they didn't deal with enough pain, but some of the pain that they did feel in the 08 recession and the bank collapses and things that we had, that they learned where if they can slow roll this bad debt that they have and some of these loans that are not performing, they can restructure them, as you mentioned, as long as it wasn't fraud or some sort of outright bad intended operator, they're going to work with them and they're going to do what they can to try to make these work, at least on the large scale. Obviously, there's going to be some people that have foreclosures, there's going to be some fire sales, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere significant enough to actually move the needle on price dropping in significant ways in most markets. So I agree with your sentiment on that completely.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Joe. And I agree. I think everyone should stress test deals for me, commercial real estate, increased vacancies, decreased rents, and really same thing for multifamily people, right? You guys have a ton of inventory coming online, ton in the pipeline. So you guys, great conversation here. I think we should probably reconvene in a month when fourth quarter earnings are out and let's see what inflation's doing. Gentlemen, thank you for your time this morning.